Part One, Chapter One of the Snow Burner by Henry Oyen. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Roger Moline. Part One, The Natural Man. Chapter One, Help. The brisk November sunrise, breaking over the dark jack-pines, lighted up the dozen snow-covered frame buildings comprising the so-called town of Railhead, and presently reached in through the uncurtained windows of the Northern Light Saloon, where it shone upon the curly head of young Toppy Treplin, as, pillowed on his crossed forearms, it lay in repose on one of the saloon tables. It was a sad, strange place to find Toppy Treplin, one-time all-American halfback, but for the last four years all-around moneyed loafer and waster. Railhead was far from the beaten path. It lay at the end of sixty miles of narrow-gauge track that rambled westward into the big woods from the Iron Range railroad line, and it consisted mainly of a boxcar depot, an alleged hotel, and six saloons, none of the latter being in any too good repute with the better element roundabout. The existence of the saloons might have explained Toppy's presence in Railhead, had their character and wares been of a nature to attract one of his critical tastes, but in reality Toppy was there because the Iron Range Limited, bearing Harvey Duncombe's private hunting car, had stopped for a moment the night before out where the narrow gauge met the Iron Range Railroad tracks. Toppy, at that faded moment, was out on the observation platform alone. There had been a row, and Toppy had rushed out in a black rage. Within, the car reeked with the mingled odors of cigarette smoke and spilled champagne. Out of doors, the first snowfall of the season faintly tinted by a newly risen moon, lay unmarked, undefiled. A girl, small, young, brisk and businesslike, alighted from the car ahead and walked swiftly across the station platform to the narrow-gauge train that stood waiting. The anger and champagne raging in him had moved Toppy to one of those wild pranks which had made his name, among his fellows, synonymous with irresponsibility. He would get away from it all, away from Harvey Duncombe and his champagne and all that sort of thing. He would show them. Toppy had stepped off. The Limited suddenly glided away. Toppy lurched over to the narrow gauge, and that was the last thing he had remembered of that memorable night. As the sun now revealed him, Mr. Robert Lovejoy Treplin, in spite of his deplorable condition, was a figure to win attention of a not entirely unfavorable sort. Still clad in mackinaw and hunting clothes, his two hundred pounds of bone and muscle and just a little too much fat were sprawled picturesquely over the chair and table, the six-foot gracefulness of him being obvious despite his rough apparel and awkward position. His cap had fallen off and the sun glinted on a head of boyish brown curls. 
It was only in the lazy, good-natured face, puffy and loose-lipped, that one might read how recklessly Toppy Treplin had lived since achieving his football honors four years before. The sun crept up and found his eyes, and Toppy stirred. Slowly, even painfully, he raised his head from the table and looked around him. The crudeness of his surroundings made him sit up with a start. He looked first out of the window at the snow-covered street. Across the way he saw a small unpainted building bearing a scraggly sign, Hotel. Beyond this the jackpines loomed in a solid wall. Toppy shuddered. He turned his face toward the man behind the bar, who had been regarding him for some time with a look of mingled surprise and amusement. Toppy shuddered again. The man was a half-breed, and he wore a red woolen shirt. Worse, there was not a sign of a mirror behind the bar. It was distressing. "'Good morning, brother,' said Toppy, concealing his repugnance. "'Might I ask you for a little information this pleasant morning?' The half-breed grinned appreciatively, but skeptically. "'Little drink, I guess you mean, don't you?' said he. "'Go ahead.' Toppy bowed courteously. "'Thank you, brother, thank you. I am sorely puzzled about two little matters. Where am I, anyway? And, if so, how did I get here?' The grin on the half-breed's face broadened. He pointed at the table in front of Toppy. "'You've been sleeping there since about midnight last night,' he exclaimed. Toppy waved his left hand to indicate his displeasure at the inadequacy of the bartender's reply. "'Obvious, my dear Watson, obvious,' he said. "'I know that I'm at this table because here I am. And I know I've been sleeping here because I just woke up. Let's broaden the range of our information. What town is this, if it is a town? And if it is, how did I happen to come here, may I ask? The half-breed's grin disappeared gradually to give place to an expression of amazement. You mean to say you come to this town and don't know what town it is? He demanded. Then why you come? What you do here? Toppy's brow corrugated in an expression of deep puzzlement. "'That's another thing that's rather puzzling, too, brother,' he replied. "'Why did I come? I'd like to know that, too. Like very, very much to know that. Where am I? How did I come here, and why? Three questions I'd like very, very much to have answered.' He sat for a moment in deep thought, then turned toward the bartender with the pleased look of a man who has found an inspiration. "'I tell you what you do, brother. You answer the first two questions, and in the light of that information I'll see if I can't ponder out the third. The half-breed leaned heavily across the single plank bar and watched Toppy closely. "'This town is railhead.' he said slowly, as if speaking to someone of whose mental capacity he had great doubts. "'You come here by last night's train. 
You bring the train crew over to have a drink, then you fall asleep. You've been sleeping ever since. Now you remember? Ah! The puzzled look went out of Toppy's eyes. Now I remember. Row with Harvey Duncombe. Wanted me to drink two to his one, stepped outside, saw little train, saw little girl. Stepped off big train, got on little train, and here I am. Fine little business. You went to sleep in the train coming up, the conductor told me, volunteered the half-breed. You told them you wanted to go as far as you could, so they took you up here to the end of the line. You remember now, hey, why you come here? Only too well, brother, replied Toppy wearily. I, I just came up to see your beautiful little city. The bartender laughed bitterly. You come to a fine place. Didn't you ever hear about Railhead? he asked. I guess not, or you wouldn't have come. This town's the jumping-off place, that's what she is. It's the most godforsaken, hopeless excuse for a town in the whole North Country. There's only two kind of business here, shipping men out to hell camp and skinning them when they come back. That's all. What do you think of that for a fine town you've landed in, eh? Fine, said Toppy. I see you love it dearly, indeed. The half-breed nodded grimly. It's all right for me. I own this place. Anybody else is sucker to come here, though. You ain't a bohunk fool, so I don't think you come here to hire out for hell camp. You just got too drunk, eh? I suppose so, said Toppy, yawning. What's this hell camp thing? Pleasant little name. And pleasant little place, supplemented the man mockingly. Ain't you never heard about hell camp? About its boss, Reavers, the snow burner? Huh. Perhaps you want hire out there for job? Perhaps, agreed Toppy. What is it? Oh, it ain't nothing so much. Just big log camp run by man named Reavers. That's all. Indians call him snow burner. Twenty-five, thirty miles out in the bush at Cameron Dam. That's all. Very big camp. Everybody who comes to this town is going out there to work, or else hiding out. I see. But why the name? Hell Camp? The bartender's grin appeared again. Then, as if a second thought on the matter had occurred to him, he assumed a non-committal expression and yawned. Oh, that's just nickname the boys give it. You see, the boys from camp come to town here in the spring. Then sometimes they raise hell. That's why some people call it hell camp. That's all. Cameron Dam Camp is the right name. I see. Toppy was wondering why the man should take the trouble to lie to him. Of course he was lying. 
Even Toppy, with his bleared eyes, could see that the man had started to berate Hell Camp even as he had berated Railhead, and had suddenly switched and said nothing. It hurt Toppy's head. It wasn't fair to puzzle him this morning. I see. Just, just a nickname. That's all, said the bartender. Briskly changing the subject, he said, Well, how about it, stranger? You going to have eye-opener this morning? I suppose so, said Toppy absently. He again turned his attention to the view from the window. On the low stairs of the hotel were seated half a dozen men, whose flat, ox-like faces and foreign clothing marked them for immigrants, newly arrived, of the Slavic type. Some sat on wooden trunks oddly marked, others stood with bundles beneath their arms. They waited stolidly, blankly, with their eyes on the hotel door, as oxen wait for the coming of the man who is going to feed them. Toppy looked on with idle interest. "'I didn't think you could see anything like that this far away from Ellis Island,' he said. "'What are those fellows, brother?' "'Bohunks,' said the bartender, with a contemptuous jerk of the head. "'They waiting to hire out for the Cameron Dam Camp. The agent, he comes to the hotel. "'Well, what are you going to have?' "'Bring me a whiskey sour,' said Toppy, without taking his eyes off the group across the street. The half-breed grinned and placed before him a bottle of whiskey and a glass. Toppy frowned. "'A whiskey sour, I said,' he protested. "'When you get this far in the woods,' laughed the man, "'they all come out of one bottle. Drink up.' Once more Toppy shuddered. He was bored by this time. "'Your jokes up here are worse than your booze,' he said wearily. He poured out a scant drink and sat with the glass in his hand while his eyes were upon the group across the street. He was about to drink when a stir among the men drew his attention. The door of the hotel opened briskly. Toppy suddenly set down his glass. The girl who had got on the narrow gauge out at the junction the night before had come out and was standing on the stairs, looking about her with an expression which, to Toppy, seemed plainly to spell, HELP! End of chapter 1 Recording by Roger Moline